And welcome for the first time in two weeks, not one week this time, back to the 22nd episode of One for One. I'm your host, Nolan Schumann, joined as always by my co-host, Miles Fuchs. Miles, how have you been these last couple weeks? Been good, staying busy. Uh, Obviously, lots of things to do, so that's good, enjoying the weather. And um, yeah, can't complain. Things are well. How about yourself? Uh, it's been pretty good. Um, I uh, I made I made wings again last night, uh, which turned out phenomenal. I got some very stellar reviews. We uh, we just recorded a wonderful little interview before this with uh, with a, a certain somebody. We'll we'll reveal him later on in the episode, but it was fantastic and just so enjoyable and everything I could have hoped for plus one thousand. So. Uh, we decided that we were going to take last week off just because uh, not really any Oilers news and um, there just wasn't really a whole lot to talk about. We wanted to wait until the uh, playoff series were over. Then we had a little bit more. Uh, we had a little bit more punch. We weren't expecting to get the interview until a little bit later on in the month, but he said, "Yeah, we can do it right away." And I said, "That works out perfectly for us. Let's just let's just do it now." Uh, so. Today's episode will be a little more laid back, uh, a little bit more of a uh, um, a, a, a playoff recap. Uh, there may, may, maybe a couple Oilers notes. Uh, yeah, you know, somebody got re-signed to a two-year deal, and uh, all of Oilerville exploded. So, we might discuss that a little bit. But shall we just jump right into it and just talk about the playoffs? I think so, man. We've had a couple weeks off here, and uh, things have kind of shaken out a little bit differently than what some folks were expecting. So. I think what Nolan and I had planned here was just to run through all of the series that took place and wrap it up in a nice little bow, and we should do that right away. You want to start with uh, oh the God, where do we want to start? No, I think because that one's going to have a lot of a lot of content. Why don't we start with Tampa versus Carolina? This was one that I think uh, anyone who listens to the show knows that I was really high on Carolina, or sorry, really high on Tampa. He's so high. On Tampa, and they they came through, and I didn't get to watch a lot of this series. To be completely honest with you, the start times were always like way early before I was home from work, and with no basement still, it's been tough to get down there and watch games or watch any games. So, uh, Nolan, were you watching much Tampa, Carolina? Uh, I watched a decent amount of it. it. Once it looked like it was really in control by Tampa, it wasn't really that much of an interest to me anymore. Um, it is always awesome watching a, watching a guy like a Sebastian Ajo and watching like Jacob Slavin and stuff like that. But I mean, it was so tough for for them for for Carolina to overcome Tampa. I mean, Tampa is just motoring right now, and um, they had a bit of a hiccup today, which we'll get to. But um, one for one bingo. <laughs> uh, we'll, but we'll get to it. We'll we'll get to her. But, uh, I mean, it just looked like Carolina was outmatched. And realistically, too, also the goaltending battle. I mean, like Andre Vasilevsky was on one. Uh, I loved all the shit talk that the Carolina Twitter was posting and, like, the fans that were like, I've seen coupons that save more than you. And then Vasilevsky just went absolute grease lightning and 
ate up pucks and rebounds and was an absolute freak. So that's nice. That's always nice. Well, and speaking of grease lightning, uh, they, 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 they burned up the quarter mile and that court and that quarter mile was in Raleigh, North Carolina. I don't know where I was going with that, but we'll, we'll just, we'll, we'll just keep that in. Uh, <laughs> but uh, to sum the series up, really, uh, uh, Dougie Hamilton had a nice little quote afterwards saying, uh, we lost to a team $18 million over the cap, which I, 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 I've, I've said this before. Um, th- they're, they're not technically breaking the rules, and until those rules are fixed, well... Sorry, there's not a whole lot we can do about that. So I, 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 I think that teams have to bend the rules, and in, order to, and in order to win Stanley Cups, you have to do that. So I don't really have a problem with it. But, I mean, I can understand Dougie Hamilton's frustration. But now the question is going into the offseason. have a couple pending UFAs, Mr. Hamilton included. How much is he going to get on the open market? Yeah, El- J- Jacob Slavin was saying that he really wants Dougie Hamilton back, and I feel like that's such a – like I'm, I like when players say that about their teammates. Like, yeah, I really like playing with this guy. I really like what we had in the room. But I also dislike what it does to like the team morale going forward because like Jacob Slavin's a huge part of that team, huge part of that decor, right? And if he's outwardly saying, you know, bring this guy back, we want this guy back, um, and, you know, the Hurricanes can't afford him or decide not to sign him or Hamilton wants to go somewhere else. Um, it just helps further that narrative of like a team divide. Mm-hmm. And you never know how guys are going to react to that or if they're going to push back or what that does in like a professional setting. So I like when guys are outspoken, but it also just makes me go because mm, I think Carolina's got something really good going there. I think they've got a really good core and obviously Dougie's a big piece of that. And if he goes well, that's a huge hole that they've got to fill, but it's little comments like that, that, you know, start to wear the foundation down. And I just, I really don't want to see Carolina flame out. I want to see Carolina be competitive for a while. So here's hoping they can get something figured out. And I know that probably kills you because of 06 and I'm sorry. And it hurts me too, but they're, a thousand percent different than they were when they beat the Oilers. They're a completely different team. Yeah, they're actually kind of likable right now. It's very unfortunate. They have a lot of talent up front. Um, speaking of Hamilton, though, uh, Elliot Friedman in 31 thoughts this week, uh, n- no free ads, by the way, uh, uh, actually mentioned that he thinks that Dougie Hamilton is gone, which, yeah. Sorry, Carolina. And you know what? You know who I actually think he's going to? And it fucking pains me to say it. I think he's going to Toronto. Fuck off. They can't afford everybody. They're going to they're going to make it. It's going to happen. I hate to say it. I really 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 hate to say it, but I think it's going to happen. Where do they get the money from for like, oh, I don't know. I just They're losing Freddie Anderson and they're losing Zach Hyman. That's like 8 million dollars right there. Yeah, I think Dougie might go for more than that though. Uh, 8 million. For, I mean, Petrangelo got eight and a half last year, so I wouldn't be surprised if Hamilton goes for 8. But, yeah, I don't want to see it happen, but I could very well see it. It's, once again, like childhood favorite team and shit like that. So, we'll see. Uh, not enough uh, not enough museums in Toronto for, for Smart Douglas. I don't know what you, he'll do there. Are you sure? Are you sure about that one? I don't think it's enough. There's not, not enough culture in that city. Royal Ontario Museum, you know, maybe? Oh, you're being sarcastic. Yes, I didn't catch I'm, on. I'm oh. joking. Oh! oh! 
Oh, that's so awkward. Speaking of which, I, I kind of did. So I should have done this because breaking news this week. I think you should leave season two, July sixth, the day after my birthday. So we know what that means, Miles, right? A couple, a couple episodes will be consumed. Uh, well, I think we might have to binge watch the first and second season one after another. <laughs> uh, I can't wait to, I can't wait to be insufferable, more insufferable to be around because all I'm doing is quoting Tim Robinson. Perfect. Speaking of being uh, hard to be around. Boston Bruins fans, uh, one of the most insufferable fan groups that there are. And I know that there's a few Bruins fans that listen to the show, and this isn't a shot at you, but a little slice of humble pie was cut out in that series against the New York Islanders where the fishermen from Long Island uh, took the series in six games and beat those bastardly Bruins. I don't think that that was really that bad of a series, and I'm giving the Bruins a bunch of shit. They played fine. They played okay, but New York is just playing a different style of hockey that teams are having a really hard time figuring out. Teams are having a really hard time getting past, which we'll get to it, but uh, <laughs> showed it showed its ugly face again in, in round three. Um, did you watch much of that series? What Anything really stick out to you? Uh, I did. I, I noticed, like, I think the, the story of the series, and you can even say it's the story of game one of the, I guess you could call it Eastern Conference final. I don't really know. Uh, but you could like this, the story of that is the, the penalties that were being called. I mean, I think it was in, was it game four, game five? There was the whole like Bruce Cassidy calling them the, calling the Islanders, the New York saints and that, and that took off and, uh, that was obviously going around. And then the, the Islanders fans themselves were calling them, you know, like the New York saints and, um, Barry Trotz had actually brought up. Uh, in a press conference, he was like, we were one of the least penalized teams this year. So, I mean, I, I don't know what you're talking about. But, I mean, I can kind of see where Cassidy's coming from, especially in Game 6 where that was there where there was that completely uncalled elbow that Kyle Palmieri threw, and it was, like, blatant, like, blatantly bad elbow that he threw. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, but I think at the end of the day, like, the Islanders their defensive structure just just works like they everyone talks about how they don't play the most exciting style of hockey and you know they uh they don't have the big goal scorers and things like that and i i totally get that and i think those are all valid criticisms but like they're winning hockey games i think that's really all that matters and that's all barry trotz cares about so um yeah they're just islanders are really 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 good and they've been really really good for a while and the irony of this sliding doors moment when Tavares leaves to go to Toronto and then Lamorello comes from Toronto to the Island and then Trotz joins him, and then Lamorello signs all these deals and trades back Matt Martin and trades for Matt Martin back. And people are starting to go crazy because they're like, what the hell we're paying way too much money for these guys. It's working. I don't know what to tell you. Like, they're they're four lines deep and they're just a pain in the ass to play against and it's kind of what I think the Bruins wanted to be also Tuka Rask being injured probably didn't help matters either no for sure I think the biggest thing like you've touched on it is Barry Trotz and the buy-in that he's been able to get from those guys like Matt Barzell is a speedster is a fast offensively skilled forward who on another team could be scoring 100 points right um and Barry Trotz has this guy you know bought into the system that he's running to have him playing 
just about defense first hockey, right? Um, it's just incredible that he's able to do that with guys and speaks high volumes to what their locker room is like and what that team's culture is. And good for good for Islanders fans to finally have something uh, to, to cheer about post 80s. And I'm excited to see them uh, in this series against the Tampa Bay Lightning. I think it's going to be good. And if game one was any indication, they're doing not too bad. Uh, 2-1 victory against those Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, which a lot of people, I think, had Tampa just cruising them. And it certainly isn't going to look like it's going to be a gimme. So in for a damn good series in, I guess, what you can call the Eastern Conference Final. Yeah. Or semifinal one, I guess, is what it breaks down as. I think this thing's going seven, and it's going to be tight, man. It's, it's going to be, be seven so... damn good games. It's... Oh, man, it's it's insane. We'll see if the whole uh, we'll we'll see if the calls are still an issue in this series going forward. But um, moving on. Well, if there's one if there's one thing the NHL is great at doing, it's you know officiating, stoking the fire of bullshit. So I'm sure that they're going to be watching those officiating crews very very closely, and be a fun storyline to see happen. Um, but yeah, humble pie for the Bruins, humble pie for Bruins fans, Taylor Hall, please come home. There was so many, man, there was so many, um, quotes and stuff from various players like that are on expiring deals, like Hall, Krejci, Rask. They're all like, I'll take less money to stay in Boston. Yeah. I can't see myself playing anywhere else. Oh, I want to play for a contender. And it kind of got me thinking. It's like the Bruins are like, and you might not agree with this take are kind of like the Peyton Manning Colts where they were always like good, but they never really did anything or never really got there. And, oh yeah, well they go to Stanley cup in 2019 and well, they, they won the cup in 2011. Like, yeah, I'm sure they did, but like the Colts did that too, but I don't understand why they get like this. I'm Jerome McGinley. I want to win a cup. I'm going to Boston. You know what I mean? Like, it yeah. seems like every player and their dog when they want to like be on a competitive team is going to the Bruins. Yeah. I just we- don't know if I understand why they have that, culture i think it's i think it's name recognition more than anything because when we talk about boston we always put them in that discussion of like they're always along that like pittsburgh washington model where it's like these these are the, like these are teams where they're always among like contender status and no matter what you'll always find the in the upper echelon of their divisions um i think the other the other thing is too is like I, and this might be a bit of a hot take but I don't personally think Boston's drafted particularly well. Um, they do have guys that work, um, like obvi- obviously, like the Krejci's and Bergerons, but that's of a completely different era, and then obviously Pasternak and stuff. Um, but when I like when I really think about it, oh, I, I guess also Charlie McAvoy, but I, I, I guess like at the end of the day, like they're not near where like a Tampa would be because Tampa is obviously the best at drafting, they're the best at evaluating talent. Like no matter what, a, a fucking guy goes in on Tampa and he scores a hat trick in his first game. Like if some fucking guy that's playing on the fourth line in Syracuse comes up and he's like, oh yeah, first star of the week, let's go. But it's like, it's like with Boston, they they have this they have like this recognition of this like elite franchise. And I know we bring up this draft quite a bit, but the 2015 draft is such a kick in the nuts for Boston. Cause they had three firsts in a row and they got Jacob DeBrust, Jakob Zaboral and Zachary Senishin and surrounding. And, and right after those guys were Shabbat Besser Connor. Yikes. 
Oh, and Barzal and Barzal as well. Right. Yeah. Crystal, crystal ball for sure. I don't know. And I'm not saying a Boston's ass or anything like that. Like, obviously you hate them because they're good, but I don't know, man. It'll be interesting to see how that roster makes up. I think they definitely missed Troy Krug this year. And I think oh, that, that, that showed hard on that blue line. And we'll see what happens with the Swayman, if he's going to be some big up and coming goaltender, or if he was just a flash in a pan, but definitely something to keep an eye on and see if uh, the Bruins come crashing back to earth in the next couple of seasons, or if they're able to just, you know, keep being a good, strong, deep team, whatever. Right. We'll see. Yeah. Speaking of good, strong, deep teams, we had a hell of a battle out West uh, through the Colorado Avalanche and Vegas Golden Knights. And this is one that had a lot of people spinning after the first game when the Vegas Golden Knights lost seven to one, absolutely beaten down. Um, then they came out and they lost game two, uh, three to two in overtime. I watched that game too. And it was very clear to, I think anybody watching that Vegas was the better team in that game too. And still ended up losing just on an absolute rocket from Miko Ratnan in overtime off flurry and then in the net. Um, but then Vegas came out and did what Vegas does and won four straight games and played very complete hockey up and down the lineup. Uh, they're so freaking tenacious. Like I watched a lot of that series and just the drive that every player has. Like we talked about the Islanders in terms of like buy-in and how everybody's there to play a role, the way that they go after pucks and the way that they chase pucks down in, you know, even chance, even possession chance opportunities. They're insane. Uh, Guys like Riley Smith, Mark Stone, they want the puck so freaking bad and they love to set guys up. Alex Tuck plays an insane game as well. I don't think he gets a lot of credit for the style he plays. Flurry's killing it. Uh, Zach Whitecloud and Peter Angelo and their whole defense core is is doing exactly what they need to. Alex Martinez is looking really good as well for an old man. So, damn, Vegas took that series. I know, Nolan, you have some thoughts, and I have some thoughts. So what do you think about the best hockey team you've ever seen losing in the second round? I will gladly take this L, and I, uh, I just wanted to say um, I apologize uh, I regret my mistakes. I was uh, led into the dark side by some really dominant play uh, on both ends of the ice. But yeah, man, uh, I I don't know what to tell you. Like Colorado, just they shit the bed, and you know, um, I mean, it's 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 been nine years, and Nathan McKinnon hasn't won anything, and. Uh, no, use the quote. Yeah, it's been. <laughs> I haven't won shit. Is I, yeah, I've been here nine years and I haven't won shit. So I, I think, yeah, you know what that I think that means. I think that might might mean that he might want out of Colorado. I mean, I, it's <laughs> it's definitely a possibility. I mean, and if if we're, I mean, if we're spitballing ideas here, like we could just. I don't know, like Chris Russell, Zach Casting, and like a second round pick. Like if we want to do that, like that that works for Nathan McKinnon. Like I, you're. T- fucking my hands are tied here but in no, all it's, seriousness it's, it's got to be a one-for-one deal and it's Yamamoto that's I think what what everybody wants to do right <laughs> all right let's do it <laughs> um but I yeah it's 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 tough to it's tough to really look at that situation I I still think that the worst idea would be to just would be to to stray away from from your plan I think that no matter what the team looks really good um just give me one second i'm going to just tell my dad that i'm uh, recording hey 
Hey, what's going on? Uh, I'm just recording, so I will call you right back, or I'll call you when I'm done recording, okay? Oh, sorry. Okay, yeah. It's no okay. Problem. All right. I will. Love you, bye. Love you too. Bye. <laughs> Should we keep that in the episode? <laughs> That'd be funny. Um, anyways, so I, I think that the worst thing for Colorado to do is to blow it up and to move on from like their from like their style and all that. I think they need to just keep with that. The Cadre suspension really didn't help matters because there was a there was a there's a a big advantage of uh, Colorado's way down the middle, and that really 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 fucking stupid suspension that Cadre took um, definitely was a was a big difference in the series. At the end of the day, like. They just, it just didn't, just, just didn't happen. Like McKinnon didn't put the team on his back like you thought he would. Um, and everybody else didn't really show up. And this was the year that you kind of had to go for that because guess who needs a new contract uh, this offseason? Um, Landeskog, Grubauer, there's a number of guys on that team that need uh, You're missing a, a pretty crucial one. <laughs> Is it Natron himself? No, uh, Kale McCarr. <laughs> Oh shit! Yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, coming off his coming off his entry level deal. So, and if they're talking term with Makar, I bet you any money he's in the ten million dollar range. Guy just got nominated for the Norris. Like I I I, I wouldn't be surprised. So, um, I, I I don't like, and they're losing Sod as well in the off season because I doubt I doubt. Sod and Landeskog are back. I I think Landeskog is pretty much done. I think they're probably going to go into go into the expansion draft and and just basically have a bunch of handshake deals with most of their guys. But I don't think Sod's back. Um, I think he could be potentially a fit on a certain uh, on a certain blue and orange team. But uh, yeah, it's I I think that it would just be a bad idea to sort of blow this up and to not go forward with the with the ideology that they have on that team. Maybe you could add a little bit of talent in the bottom six because they were kind of relying on a lot of guys they were calling up and just giving a and just giving some bigger roles to some of those guys in the back end. And they're a little small and they're a little inexperienced and I think that's going to go a long way, but everybody's going to get better along the way. You just have to kind of remain patient and just keep on track with it. Yeah, but at the same time, you saying that Nathan McKinnon didn't put the team on his back the way that he should have. I think I saw a graphic that he is like in his first fifty games, first fifty playoff games, he's like top eight or something like that in terms of points. Like he's up there with Lemieux, Gretzky, Yager, like some really big names. So he's he's performing quite well. Um, but it just seems like everybody else around him is is kind of shit in the bed. Um, since 2017, 2018, um, when the avalanche finally made the playoffs after three years of not qualifying. They have lost in the first round, second round, second round and second round repeatedly. So they have been, I think a bit a really good team, but just a team that isn't pulling through or maybe not getting terrific matchups uh, for them early on enough. But I mean, at the end of the day, you got to get over the hump and you got to win some games. There's a certain someone who is a fan of a certain Southern Alberta hockey team who was, saying that uh, when the, when the Avalanche win the Cup, that he's going to be making this big argument that McKinnon's better than McDavid. Well, neither of them have gotten past the second round. So I think uh, I think both of those guys have a lot yeah, to that, prove that, next that season shit, that, shit needs, that shit needs to stop. That's just, uh, it's like, I, I get it to a point, but there's also like, how do I explain this? It's like, oh, if we're, okay, let's use like a football example, right? Is like, Julian Edelman is one of the best 
playoff receivers of all time. But there's no fucking way you're going to tell me that Julian Edelman is better than like Odell Beckham. You know? Yeah, that's like fair. it's it's something like that, right? Um, now, uh, what's, Jesus, I've 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 lost my train of thought quickly here. Um, yeah, like I, it's 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 tough. It, it, they almost remind me of like the like early 2010s Capitals in that way. Like similar to similar to that where they've because like a bunch of people are trying to make like the parallels between like the Leafs and the Capitals and I mean at least the at least the the Avs have made it past the first round so I could easily see that like they're just an uber talented team and they just can't seem to make it I think it's going to happen though like I said keep on the same track and move on so yeah I I don't think that they need to blow it up I sure certainly hope they don't blow it up because they've got a damn good team and it was just a shitty series to lose Vegas is just built different like yeah from the ground up from the rules around their expansion draft and everything yep. like that so i will i will eat this l num, 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 num. eat it like a bag of sour patch kids oh yeah i don't have any of those i've been cutting back on the sour patch speaking of sour uh nothing like listening to a couple oilers fans talk about the team that beat them out of the playoffs um when they got swept by the montreal canadien the Winnipeg Jets, Mark Shifley, Gamer Mark. Let's start from that first game because Nolan was really excited to talk about the hit on Evans. And that kind of set the tone for the rest of the series and kind of played things out uh, for how the loser peg Jets were going to go. I don't like... I don't want to get into this too much because obviously like so many outlets have covered it. So I totally get that. We're kind of just like beating a dead horse, but we're like beating like a dead jets team right now. So, um, but I, what a fucking scumbag hit from Mark Shifley. Like, I'm sorry. I, and the argument that I was trying to play the puck is such a load of shit. And I've seen, and the amount of people that I've seen being like, uh, yeah, uh, Mark Shifley did nothing wrong. It, it, it's fucking exasperating. Like, I, I, I can't believe that there, there are people that actually genuinely think this way. And once again, going back to this discussion we had a whole, around the whole Tom Wilson situation, this is the problem with hockey. If we want to market the game, we cannot let shit like this pass. This idea that this guy going for an empty... And, like, if you're going to come at me and tell me that... Mark Shifley was trying to stop the puck from going in the net and he was just finishing his check. Where was his stick? Where the stick was nowhere near the puck. Like he there was no way he was going to make a play on that. All he was doing is it was a frustration hit because he's a fucking gamer. And yeah, that was the first time he fucking backchecked all season. Like he and that's uh, that's the other thing too. Oh, this guy, this guy's uh, this guy plays with an edge. Dude, Mark Shifley's one of the fucking softest players I've ever watched. Like this guy's such a perimeter player. I I I, I fucking hate Mark Shifley. Sorry, I'm I can't talk about Mark Shifley more. Just makes me so mad. I I hate Mark Shifley. I strongly dislike Mark Shifley as well. Um, I love the shit that he's coming out with though. Like all this sound oh my and God. all the takes and like, yeah, I thought I was gonna be uh getting watched by Philip Deneau. Thought Philip Deneau was gonna be keeping me out of the out of the playoffs, but it turns out it was the Department of Player Safety. Like, wow, Mark Shifley, you are so fucking sick. You are so cool. He Everybody also, wants to be you. Okay, and then I, I wanna make this point too, and like I don't want this to be taken the wrong way. I don't want it to be taken out of context because I totally get it. And what he said was a good point. But the first 
the first presser or the first interview he does after the suspension, he mentions the hit initially from the get-go. But the thing that gets talked about and the thing that gets shared by all the outlets is the whole like uh, my uh, my family receiving threats and uh, receiving uh, the hateful messages and stuff. It's like, Mark, do you not think that every player deals with this? Like, and don't get me wrong, it's terrible. And I think the people that do that are fucking garbage. Like, don't do that. If you're messaging hate or, like, death threats and hate to players, like, do something else with your time. Like, just get a life, honestly. But he flipped the ledger that the story around that whole presser was that it wasn't him saying... In, and you know what? Mark Scheifele could have earned back all my good graces by saying, you know what? It was heat of the moment. I made a mistake. I feel terrible about it. Like, I accept the Department of Player Safety's decision. Like, the fact that he didn't really feel like he did anything wrong, and he's like, oh, I was, I was just finishing a back check. Like, no, you weren't. Quit lying. Quit lying through your fucking teeth. We know exactly what you were doing. And so now the story gets turned into... Um, NHL fans are uh, um, NHL fans are toxic, and they're the ones that are saying all these mean things to Mark Shifley. And it's like I said, terrible thing to do. But why flip the story around? It's like we we didn't hear this from Tom Wilson when this shit happened to Tom Wilson, right? So I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this, but it's just like I hate. Well, that. they they got their just they got their just desserts in a four game sweep. Um, losing to the Montreal Canadien. Mark Bergevin is absolutely going to have a couple of drinks this weekend, I think, and get excited <laughs> to go to Vegas. Everybody's making a lot of jokes about it's a it's the stripper bowl battle where the Montreal versus Vegas. Um, I feel really bad for Montreal that they have to go into Vegas and play against that team. Um, it's kind of like it's kind of like Game of Thrones. Did you watch Game of Thrones? Uh, no. <laughs> I've never watched an episode of Game of Thrones. Okay, well, for, for those that are going to want to hear where, where I'm going with this, it's kind of like uh, it's kind of like the White Walkers, where they're like this immovable, unbeatable force that's just kind of marching, 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 and then nobody knows what they're going to be like when they have to face like regular people, and then the regular people end up winning. It could kind of yeah. be like, that could be like any Canadian team finally getting to play uh, against an American team, but I think that Vegas is going to absolutely punch them in the jejunum and beat the crap out of them. Yeah, Carey Price is going to get shelled. Like, like this is going to be the you know the you know like the meme of like the guy on his knees that's like trying to like block the bullets. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's going to be Carey Price. Um, and it just remi- like this series just reminds me of how much of a piss off it is that the Oilers got swept by the Jets and I will hammer this home until the cows come home. This was the closest sweep in NHL history, okay? This is I <laughs> 3 games in overtime. 3 games in overtime, you pieces of shit. <laughs> so, but it still makes me mad. Don't get me wrong. The Oilers would have got their asses handed to them by maybe Montreal. Like like if we're being completely honest, like Montreal played them pretty hard, but at least if they got to fucking Vegas, they would have been destroyed. So I, what can you do, right? But it, yeah, it just, it makes me so mad because the Jets just, they had no shot in this series. They were severely outplayed, severely outmatched. 
Carey Price sit on his head. And you know, Montreal's a good team, man. Like I've said to you before, like Montreal's a damn good hockey team. They play really hard. And like you, like we mentioned about buy-in before, I mean, it looks like Dom Ducharme's really got some buy-in from his players, even though he looks like uh, uh, the fucking uh, uh, Grindelwald from fucking Fantastic Beasts. Uh, it looks like Johnny Depp's character with the white hair. He looks like uh, the mayor of Whoville. Yeah, that's another good one. Yeah, he's an interesting looking interesting looking Frenchman, that's for sure. But did somebody say Mark Stone? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm ner- I'm nervous, but I'm excited to see that series. Um now that it's a little bit closer and now that our picks have been wrong pretty much every time we've done this, uh I still think it's going to be a Vegas Tampa final. Uh yeah, I think I think Braden Point is going to absolutely want, fuck around and score some goals. Do I want to be a contrarian? I don't know. You're grinning like you sure want to. Vegas Isles. Vegas Isles. Well, I mean, we'll see. We'll definitely yeah. see. Uh, either way, it's going to be a treat. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I, I see a little, I see a little, it's like, Oh, I'm I'm about to become a nerd again. Uh, uh, Miles, uh, have you have you have you seen the Star Wars movies? Um, not enough. Not many of them. A few uh, of them. Okay. Well, there's the whole thing about uh, in uh, in the the fourth one, which was originally titled Star Wars back in 1977, but then uh, upon the release of the prequels, it turned into Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope. Well, anyways, at the end of the film, uh, when they're approaching the Death Star and they are trying to destroy the Death Star. Um, there is essentially a trench, which then leads to uh, a, a one spot on the Death Star where if you shoot it, it blows up. And I think that's Tampa Bay. There's going to be that one. There's going to be like that that one little spot where New York is able to hit and blow it up. I'm, I'm taking the Isles and Seven. I'm probably crazy, but I'm taking the Isles and Seven. Hey, if it works out, you're going to be the smartest guy, and you're going to be able to look back on this and be like, "I'll, I'll found, be the I'll found. be the real gamer." Yeah, I found my one weak spot, and it was this third-pairing defenseman. Gamer Nolan? Gamer Nolan. <sighs> Nolan? Yes? Should we get into the interview? I think we should. And I'm not talking about the hit film with uh, Seth Rogen and James Franco. I'm talking about That got our... the USA canceled by Korea? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about our interview with Connor Rogers of Bleacher Report. Let's jump to it, shall we? Well, this is a big one. Joining us this week on One for One, we've got we've got someone 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 very close to my heart. Uh, he is the lead NFL draft analyst for Bleach Report. Uh, he also has a couple podcasts, That's So Mets, as well as Badlands, which you can find on Patreon. He's big gym guy. He's an alt rock boy and a personal hero of mine. Connor Rogers, welcome to the show. Man, thank you so much for the nice intro. God, I feel like uh, I haven't gotten one like that yet. So I really do appreciate that, man. And uh, I'm excited to talk to you guys. A pretty laid back Sunday here we got going. Yeah, yeah we, got the game yeah, one, we got game one on. We do. And that's not laid back. For me, I, I shouldn't say I don't care, right? Because I'm a hockey fan. So I love the intensity and I love the game. But as a Rangers fan... 
you know, it's kind of just like, eh, whoever wins, wins. And I was telling you guys before we started the show that my girlfriend and her family are Islanders maniacs. So there is some stake there. I root for their happiness, I like to tell them. But for all the ribbing they give me the entire year or every season about the Rangers, there's also the part of me that's like, well, if you lose, you lose. You get to join the rest of us in the offseason. So you're a born and bred New York boy, eh? Uh, that's exactly right. That's transplanted into Jersey now. So uh, I get plenty of Devils fans around here, but there's Rangers fans all over in the tri-state area. For sure. What's the vibe in the city like with, you know, those are all three teams that have had their own various little runs in the past decade or so. What's the vibe in the city like um, for each team as they make their run? Is it different? Is it kind of the same? What have you noticed? It's very different. And it's a great question. And, you know, I'm not saying this because I'm a Rangers fan. I would I would say this about I would call this straight and call it fair anyway. When the Rangers are in the playoffs and the Rangers are really good. The excitement in Manhattan is is unbeatable, quite frankly, and the excitement everywhere, because like I said, there's Rangers fans in Jersey because they're like me. They grew up in New York. They're from New York. They end up here uh, to live. You know, there's even Rangers fans in Long Island, even though Long Island has such a loyal, great Islanders fan base as well. So I think when you look at it, you know, like how we saw recently with the NBA with the Knicks making the playoffs and making some noise this year, it kind of woke up the city a little bit. Well, the Rangers have had more success over the last decade than the Knicks, obviously, and uh, playoff hockey here is it's really special right I think regular season you know you get your Rangers fans that are they're diehard they're loyal but I think you get a lot of bandwagon fans that join in for the playoffs when they're there and it, it's rocking everywhere's rocking everybody's wearing Rangers stuff everybody's out at bars to watch the Rangers playoff games the garden regular season or playoffs it doesn't matter it's an electric place to watch hockey it really really is special and then of course like you said there are two other teams the Islanders you know, their fans, I'm, you, you guys, like I'm, I'm a Mets fan, right? And I think the Mets and Isles fans can relate in certain ways, and a lot of them cross paths. Not me, but there are a lot that root for both. The Isles are a little bit of that more recently underdog, and now they've built something where they, uh, they've been more successful than the Rangers recently. So their fans are, it feels like a smaller fan base, but just as loyal by far, very yeah. diehard, you know, that Long Island pride and energy they have there. And then the Devils is very similar in a sense, but on the Jersey side of things, and especially probably in central Jersey uh, and obviously North Jersey, because South Jersey, you get a lot of Flyers fans as well. And the Devils, like you said, they've had their own good run. So there's a lot of pride there. There's a lot of hate uh, from both sides towards the Rangers. That I will say that, quite frankly, I don't like either of those teams at all, but it's not like a real, like, like a real, real hate to the point that they share towards the Rangers. Uh, they they look at the Rangers like a lot of baseball fans look at the Yankees for whatever reason and really oh. despise them. Fancy Manhattan boys is what is what they probably see. I, I guess so. I guess that's <laughs> what it is. And we need to we need to earn that reputation back of building a little bit of a tougher club. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, should, should we should we just jump right into the Rangers? And just and and, and just and just, I'm, and I'm just get ready. it over Let's with. Let's do it. Absolutely. All right. Well, it's a tumultuous season to say the least. Yeah. Um, I I figured I figured I give because because we're actually typically an Oilers podcast, but I wanted to I, I wanted to open it up uh, because we're talking about we're just talking about hockey in general today. So, um, I I wanted to give a a, a timeline of the season uh, because it was the entry and exit of two. 
hopefully franchise legends in the exit of King Henrik Lundqvist uh, walk after or in, well being bought up after 15 seasons. And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, the Rangers obviously drafted Alexis Lafreniere first overall, which I will admit when that draft lottery happened, I was... I was like, I know the Oilers are eliminated, but maybe there's this, there, maybe there's this potential possibility that there could be something nice waiting for us at the end of the tunnel, but no, the freaking New York Rangers have to get that. Thanks a lot. Um, Then they get lumped into the East division with Pittsburgh, Washington, Boston, the Islanders, and everybody's for some reason. Yeah. And and every, everyone's cup, uh, you know, cup pick the Philadelphia flyers, Uh, by the way, the devils and the sabers don't really count people. Sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm with you on that one. Absolutely. <laughs> and then uh, following up after six games, obviously uh, everyone's, everyone's favorite and, 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 and a favorite of one for one. Uh, uh, Tony D'Angelo gets waived uh, due to maturity issues and declining play uh, emphasized after a spat with Alexander, uh, Alexander Georgiev. Then February 22nd, Artemi Panarin takes a leave of absence from the team um, due to what seems to be rep- what, what was maybe a bit of a iffy subject of what was going on at the time. Um, I don't know how much we should get into that because there's a lot that we don't really know about, obviously. Um, and then that was obviously followed up by uh, the fireworks at the end of the season <laughs> with the Washington and the Capitals and Tom Wilson situation. Uh, we've discussed that heavily on our show in which basically uh, the situation between uh, Tom Wilson hitting Pavel Buchnevich and then obviously pulling Artemi Panarin down by the hair, uh, which then led to the statement, which people seem to think it was from James Dolan rather than the actual organization themselves uh, regarding the, uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember actually what, what was the, what was the proper terminology? It was a, 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 a random act of violence or something like that. Yeah. And they said <laughs> that, um, you know, they basically said the player safety commissioner is not fit for his role. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go on that. Which then all came together with the firings of Jeff Gorton and John Davidson and the promotion of Chris Drury. Quite the timeline. Oh, absolutely. Um, Quite the timeline. So how's the morale in uh, within the fan base right now? You know what? I think it's uh, like anything else, especially New York fan base is very split. I think for me, I didn't look at this season as like some kind of failure. I knew they were in a division that they were fighting an uphill climb. I'm almost positive they are the youngest team in the NHL by age average by over a year, which is a drastic gap when you are not only at the, you know, highest or lowest of something, but you're that far away from the second highest or lowest of something. So they're a very young team. I think the coach, as much as he struggled at certain things, took this job um, knowing that they were rebuilding and that he was going to be responsible for the development of these young players. And it's kind of tough when you put it's, you know, that's a really interesting subject to me in terms of letting him go or riding it out. I think when you look at it with Drury as much, the national media or national fans probably don't see this the same as a lot of Rangers fans do. I've known um, 
I, I've heard for a while from people that would know it's this is how this is how it stretches when you work in sports, you hear <laughs> hockey things that they would never let Chris Drury leave the organization. They were always, yeah. you know, promising him bigger and better roles. Now, not to say that they didn't have guys that were good at those roles in Gordon and Davidson. But I think it was it was known for a while when this guy started to basically kind of pass on a lot of GM opportunities that he was going to be here for the long haul. So that didn't necessarily surprise me. It's a little surprising about the firings. You think when organizations have guys like that, they continue to elevate them, which is really pushing them aside. It happens in American football a lot. Yeah. But they let them go out the door and said, Drury, this is your show. They think he's a rising star. You know, up and down seasons for a lot of guys on the team, even Lafreniere as a teenager, yeah. uh, you know, flashes and, and low points and all kinds of things like that. So and like you said, drama in the mix of all of this. I think the Tom Wilson situation was unique in a sense that, yes, the Rangers cannot let that happen. The league cannot let that happen. While at the same time, you know, you look at it and go, well, the Rangers were missing a barrage of their toughest players that there really wasn't anybody on the ice that yeah. day that can, not a lot of people could challenge Tom Wilson, right? Let's call it what it is. And when you're depleted and down three of your toughest and biggest, strongest kind of guys, you're definitely not challenging him. So that was a unique situation. It was a crazy season. Yeah. I, it's disappointing that they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, it's disappointing how it ended in that regard when you you can't enforce or protect your players in that sense. And when you defer to the league to do it and they don't do it either, then it really is in your hands. And that's something I love about hockey. I actually love about hockey that the league does tend to let guys uh, enforce for their teammates. And I don't think Rangers have a guy like that on the roster and they know that and it's a clear problem. So though there was really good steps this year, there was really impressive impressive flashes from a lot of young talent across the board and I'm talking guys that aren't even 23 years old yet but there's obviously clear flaws and holes on this roster right now and we're going to see them address that hopefully yeah for sure talking a lot about the youth movement that's taking place in New York with Grigorev, Capo Caco, Lafreniere Uh, does it and with all this talk about Jack Eichel potentially joining uh, the New York Rangers in the off season. It, do you feel like there's a lot of pressure on that team to start to perform or start to pull through? I do. I think because one, they have an owner that, <laughs> you know, always wants to win. Right. Like when you got to realize and I, I'd never seen this from any, I don't think I'd seen this in my lifetime from any team I root for or follow when the Rangers a couple of years ago went under, like undertook this rebuild, they announced it in a PR statement to the fans that they were going to, blow it up a little bit and rebuild and that's like crazy like you know it as a fan you see it when it's happening and there's a lot of coded language from executives and coaches and owners of teams or even players of teams veterans dancing around it but basically saying it's happening but they said in a statement that they were going to rebuild this team and it's not where it needs to be yet, but there are a lot of good things. Obviously, when you look at the ro- – I mean, they have a lot of young guys on this roster and a lot of guys that were first-round picks of the team. You saw Kako take some steps, of course. But Keandre Miller was a late first-round pick that, yeah. you know, played football and hockey uh, growing up. So he was a little bit of a raw player in terms of, you know, fully dedicating to hockey. And obviously, at the college ranks, it, the light really came on. And for him to be out on the ice as many minutes as he was this year – uh, he was tremendous. Adam Fox is somebody who oh. is now making a mark as 
you know, could win the Norris, but at a minimum looks like a top five young cornerstone defenseman in all of hockey. Uh, So he'd expect him to be there for a very long time. They do have some veteran pieces that are great players. And because it's Banajad, Temi Panarin, you know, Chris Kreider's under contract and brings them a different presence in front of the net. They just need to get a little deeper on the back end of their lines. I think, I think that times of the fourth line, I think they're waiting for some players to make their way here, especially in a form of Niels Lundqvist, who is the Swedish defenseman of the year uh, here next year. You know, they, they have a lot of talent, but they're just so young and they happen to play for a franchise that always wants to win. So you have to wonder, (laughs) is that going to get in the way of something really good that's marinating for two years from now? That's what gives me fear as a fan, because I'm not a hockey fan that's like, wow, the Rangers went, what, 27 and 23 this year or whatever and and missed the playoffs like the sky is falling. I looked at him and was like, wow, we got some young players, you know, probably do need to shake things up at the head coaching spot. Totally get that. But I'd see where this thing's going. I don't know if you trade everyone and I say everyone, you know, three young pieces and a first rounder uh, for, you know, and I, lo- I recognize how talented Eichel is. I also recognize that he has coming off a neck injury and makes a ton of money. And the Rangers aren't this team with $50 million in cap space that it's just, hey, we're taking them on because we can't. You're going to have to make some hard decisions, right? Like if you acquire Jack Eichel, does that mean Mika Zibanejad's out the door? Because then you're creating the same center problem that you've had for two years now isn't getting any better and could get worse if Eichel misses more time. So I'm not one of those that thinks it's Eichel or bust this offseason. I always have that fear that the Rangers might look at it that way. (laughs) And if he comes back to being Jack Eichel and they have to trade, you know, a former pretty early first round pick, another really good young player and a lot of picks, you know, that's the risk you take. But for me, I just, if I was the Rangers and I'm not a smart hockey person or anything like that, I'm just a fan. I just don't think you need to put all your chips in that pot this off season. Yeah. Uh, That's that's a really good point, man. Sorry to cut you off there, Nolan, but okay. I was just—I was talking to a longtime friend of the show, Flames fan Kyle, yesterday, <laughs> who's obviously a Calgary Flames fan, and he, for some reason, thinks that the Flames are like gonna get Jack Eichel, and he's so stoked about it. But we were talking because uh, some reports had come out that the Kings seem to be out of that Jack Eichel yes. race. So that's one of the top five front runners that is now out. So it's interesting to think, you know, is a fifth team going to move in there or does it just become a four-team dogfight? Uh, I would have said top two, right? Yeah, right, exactly. I, I mean, for me, looking at it from afar and, and not – i it's rare to say this about a star player acquisition, but I am very neutral on the Rangers acquiring Jack Eichel. Like, if they don't do it, I'm like, okay, keep this thing moving. If they do do it, you know, once again, I'm a fan. I'd be very upset probably over losing some pieces, but I'm also like, this is a risk you want to take. You think you can make the money work? you know, you're going to keep Zibanejad with him as well. You, you, I trust your medical info that you think he's going to be right for the next 10 years or whatever it may be that, you know, I'm very neutral. I see both sides of it, but I also did not think the Rangers were the front runner. Like they were made out to be, I was just assuming it makes so much sense for the Kings. So when that came out, what this week or last week, totally caught an, uh, batted an eye towards it and looked at it. And if your buddy's right, maybe it's a mystery team situation where, you know, someone like the Rangers is like, hey, we'll take them for a bargain because of the cap hit. We're not going to give you a Lafreniere. Obviously, Fox is untouchable. 
But I even wonder if they're looking at Kako as untouchable because then you're sitting there going, okay, well, now you're looking at prospect pool, not NHL players, right? Guys we haven't seen, like a Niels Lundqvist, uh, like one of the recent picks from the last couple of years that were taken maybe in the late first round or the second round, something along those lines. So I just wonder how long the stare down goes down because I'm sure Buffalo wants to get this thing over with, but I'm sure the rest of the teams are sitting there going, eh, we don't feel desperate to do this right now. Yeah, for sure. That flat cap is going to be a big thorn in the side for a lot of teams, I think, especially with the cap hit that he's got. It's the biggest issue, right? Like, and if he was healthy, you shrug your shoulders and go, he's Jack Eichel. Like, he's worth that money to us. He's worth that money to any team in hockey. It's just there's clearly, you know, the reason this trade is happening, and you guys are well aware of this, is because of the fraction between franchise and player. And... Jack Eichel is probably on like the 98% side of being right things here. I think the Sabres have blown this beyond proportion, especially when you hear that other really good young players uh, speak up and maybe don't want to be there either. It's not like they're, they're a bad roster, but they're not, they have more than Jack Eichel and more play there. It sounds like they're getting calls on other players as well. So, you know, it's, it's sad when, you guys know I'm a New Yorker. I'm not a, a, like I'm not from Buffalo. I'm way closer. I grew up way closer to the city than Buffalo. Uh, but I don't at the same time, I, I feel for a city that you see the way they rally around the Bills right now and how much how excited they are for the Bills. Jack Eichel was supposed to be, you know, even bigger than Josh Allen and supposed yeah. to get the Sabres in the right direction. And they love hockey when things are good there. And it's it's gone about as bad as it could have gone. Yeah. Um. It, you 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 brought up James Dolan, um, and <laughs> do you, you think do you think like I guess sort of going back to how much pressure could be on the franchise? Like, do you think potentially like the Knicks play like I should say playoff run, but playoff run is probably one of the worst things to happen to the Rangers. Like, do you think that that's been Ooh. turned up a smidge? Like, ever I mean like his influence has probably been brought up and that's probably a lot since the massive revenue losses they probably saw this year due to the pandemic. Great question. And I, you know, I actually surprisingly haven't thought about that a lot, but it's, it, I'm sure it correlates. I think that yes, the pandemic was a blow to any pretty much almost every industry. And of course, live entertainment, which is sports. And I think that, you know, he's a very reactionary guy. We know that. <laughs> I, I think that you always have to wonder, he saw Tom Thibodeau turn around a Knicks team that really had no business making the playoffs, and they were the four seed. Like, that, that is jarring to me. So I, I, would I be shocked if there's somebody in James Dolan's ear, maybe Chris Jurian, I don't know, I'm just guessing, that's saying, hey, with the right coach, the Rangers would have made the playoffs this year. I don't know if I even believe that. And maybe it's true. I don't think Quinn was really bad. I don't think Quinn was really good. I think he was just somewhere right in the middle. And you could see they came out really flat a lot of games they couldn't afford to. And when you have a talented young roster, the coach is going to take the blame for that a lot, no matter if it's right or wrong. And I don't know where I stand on it. I think I do stand on it that the coach has to take some of the heat for that because it's like, why are you putting up five goals against a playoff team one night? And then you look like you don't belong in the league the next night. Yeah. It's, it's what it's really leaves you confused. And I'm sure for an owner that witnessed the exact opposite with the Knicks franchise, a team that overachieved punched above their weight class over and over again, all year. They, they were the talk of town 
The Knicks being in the playoffs, nobody cared about anything else here in a town that has the Mets in first place. It has the Yankees, and the Yankees, good or bad, they always dominate conversations. The Jets had the second overall pick. The Giants spent a ton of money. And the talk of town when the Knicks were making the playoffs and made the playoffs was the New York Knicks. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if it factors into that and if they felt like this rebuild needs – the foot needs to be on the gas a little bit more than it's been. Yeah, for sure. You brought up the pandemic, and I've got a two-part question around that. Uh, obviously, being in media, how has the pandemic, you know, a year, two years in the making, affected your ability to cover teams? And I'm sure since you've been locked down and had a lot of time to think as a sports guy, is there, you know, a dream sports trip to a city that you've never been to that has maybe started to creep to the foreground uh, since you've had a little bit more time to, to do research in your own home? Yeah, so... You know, I'll start with the second one first before I forget to answer it. Um, the second one for me, I think, is, you know, within the U.S. is Lambeau Field, uh, just a special place for football. And I think, you know, it's kind of a shame because I probably should have done that trip while Aaron Rodgers was definitely going to be on the team. And, uh, you know, we don't know how much longer that's going to be. <laughs> you know, I think for me, Lambeau would be the football stadium I think shockingly being in New York, I have not been to Fenway up in Boston. That trip's going to have, yeah, I know. I'm just surprised. You know what the problem is if, if I went to Fenway and I will, I really want to go see the Mets play there and the Mets play there like two games a year. And they do it this year at like the end of September when I'm working for football. (laughs) So it doesn't really work, but Fenway will happen. I hope Lambeau happens at some point. I've been really spoiled to go to a lot of college stadiums, uh, a lot of really good ones. And that's what kind of sparked my interest more of traveling for sports with hockey. Hockey's the opposite, actually, for me. If I went to see, if I went to a place, a specific place to watch hockey, I don't know if I'd want to just follow the Rangers. I think I'd want to experience it as a neutral fan. I don't really know why. It's just different, I I guess, because – with hockey, I'm, I find it very easy for me to be a fan of hockey. Not just, I'm a huge Rangers fan, but I love watching hockey pretty much no matter who it is. I don't find myself that way with baseball, honestly. I will, I will barely miss a Mets game. I'll watch like at least 140 of a freaking 162-game season, whether it's on my phone, out somewhere. Like I, I'll catch most of the game. But when I turn on White Sox, Texas Rangers – don't really care. Honestly, don't really care. And can't say that about hockey to watch any hockey game. So I think that I have no problem being a neutral fan for, you know, whatever it may be, whether it's, you know, a game out in Vegas, which looks really fun right now, or a game, you know, hopefully we'll be able to go back to Canada pretty soon. And obviously a game up there would be pretty fun no matter what. So you know, those are the really obvious ones. I think that something I have my eyes on already is I, at some point in my life, I want to attend a World Cup. I think that it's just be insane. I was actually in, uh, I was in France. I was in Paris when France won the World Cup. Just to oh, be around those celebrations is unlike anything I'd ever seen from a sporting event before. So I can't imagine actually being at the, at the games. And then you asked me about the pandemic. I'm very long-winded if you can't tell. Um, <laughs> So, yeah, it changed my life. Uh, you know, I, I was on the road every other week for work, something I, I really liked, but also it, I don't want to say it burned me out. I never felt burnout. I would say I started to really become someone I never thought I'd be, and that's like 
fly out every Friday, get home every Sunday or Monday, like going to work for two days. Then like Wednesday, I'd have to like do laundry and make sure my apartment was like not burned to the ground and then like do it all again, starting Friday again. Like, so it was a little bit of turmoil, but I got to go see a lot of cool places. My job, the easier things about my job was contacts, right? I saw people all around the country that I have relationships with for info um, that I only get to see, you know, when I'm out in California, when I'm at the NFL combine, when I'm here, I'm there. And when I worked from home for the entirety of the pandemic, almost, it was, wow, I don't have to commute. I can watch a lot more film. I can get a lot more done for the NFL draft. I could do a lot more film study and work, but I'm not having those face-to-face meetings for inside info. Everything's a phone call or a FaceTime. It's not the same, no matter what anyone tells you. I cannot imagine being a team reporter doing all of these post-game pressers or pre-game pressers on Zoom. It, that's not the same. And th- they need those in-face relationships. They need the coach seeing the same person sitting in front of them every day and, and getting that kind of rapport together. So I'm fortunate that my job was a little different than that, but it absolutely made things more difficult in a sense. But on the flip side, there's absolutely some benefit as well. Wow. Perfect. Yeah. Um... I this is this is gonna be this is gonna be a really bad segue. So I I I already <laughs> you have to bear with me already. But um, speaking of covering teams, um, we didn't really we haven't really touched upon your actual career yet, um, which is the fact that you've been with you you're right now you're the lead NFL draft analyst at Bleacher Report. Um, and speaking of Bleacher Report, and uh, 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 speaking of uh, you and your career. Uh, I, I, I got to really notice you, uh, off of, uh, off of when you were doing stick to football with, uh, with Matt Miller and Mello as well. And, uh, unfortunately stick to football is no longer. Um, but you guys did have a, uh, pretty well-known bit, uh, that you guys did for a while called just the tip. And, uh, every time you guys did just the tip, you guys used to crack a beer cause it was the laid back time. We're not, we're not stressing about sports right now. We're talking about other things. So, uh, I figured we could do that, uh, on the zoom right now. So I, uh, Connor has himself prepared a beer, ready. and miles does as well. I've got, uh, the, uh, non-official, uh, sponsor of the show, uh, Bud Light, uh, is that, are you guys, <laughs> are you guys big Bud Light drinkers? Oh, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> oh I, yeah. I can't. All right. So I don't, I'm not going to give a bad or good opinion of Bud Light <laughs> on the show. I always keep my sponsorships wide open, but <laughs> I will say I'm floored by that. And maybe that makes me ignorant, but I don't, I'm just, why Bud Light? Yeah. <sighs> It just goes so, down. Man, for me, I got so I, I work in agriculture. So we had a like big company wide event in St. Louis when I'd first finished university and the whole like um, handshaking ceremony or whatever the hell you want to call it. The 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 event was at the Bud Light Brewery. So oh, we got okay. we got the tour and we got they took very good care of us. So ever since then I've been like, that's it. That's the move. So I've been big Bud Light guy ever since then. And they do import to everywhere. So it's not like you like you could always get it. There's no doubt about that. All right. uh, Consistency. Consistency (laughs) is key. 
I used to be I used to be a big Budweiser guy, and then I realized that I was I was it just it hits you like a ton of bricks the next day. Yes, it does. And <laughs> and so I decided to make the switch to Bud Light, and uh, now instead of only putting back like eleven beer, I can now put back like eighteen, and I <laughs> feel much better oh, than oh, I did on those eleven. <laughs> So I was, I grabbed an IPA because I feel like this was, I was excited uh, for this show and I had to have something, you know, that I can enjoy, but I did have a Modelo in my hand originally, which is my Bud Light. I could just drink Modelo like a glass of water, like nothing. Like I'm with you where it's a volume game. Like you're out in the sun, (laughs) you're out, it's 11, well, not 11 a.m. Who does that? Um, Uh, Yeah, that'd be crazy. Yeah, the afternoon Modelo's, but it's a Sunday. I have not drank today. It's reaching six o'clock here on the East Coast, so I'll be I'll enjoy a nice uh, Reaper-looking dog saying saying no cats. This is Perfect. from Anchorage, Alaska. So let's uh, you let's you do, give me the count. Uh, uh, so we'll do three, two, one, crack. Yes, sir. Three, two, one. Oh, that's that's a that's a that was sound. juicy. Yeah, that was a good one. <laughs> Man, I, w- I wish you guys just like stayed on character though and gave me like had like Molson ready or something so ridiculous. <laughs> oh, that would have really gave me a laugh. We, I'm sorry, sorry, we disappointed you. It's That's... okay. I, the, the I had a Molson run in college, believe it or not. The apology should be Canadian enough that I said sorry, so we'll, we'll give you <laughs> that one. Uh, I'm just, I'm just being a jerk at that point, but man, Bud, all right, so Bud Light, well, cheers, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to see what you got worked up here, Nolan. Perfect. I, I, I appreciate it. Um, by the way, I'm sorry. We're taking up way too much of your time. <laughs> no, I, I, like, like I said, it's, it's no worries. Now that you have me drinking. Perfect. Like, we're, we're, we're good I'm to not, go. I'm not running off anywhere. That's the, that's, that's the trick. Um, by the way, your girlfriend will be nice and happy because the Islanders just took game one. So it's over. It's, wow. o- it's over. It's done. And it was one, nothing uh, Two one. Okay. Two one was the final. I'm actually floored by the lack of goals. I can't. I cannot believe they shut down Tampa. That is insane. I'm telling you, man, it's a possibility. It's definitely a possibility. That hurts. They play an ugly. They play an ugly brand of hockey, and it's it works. Well, uh, (laughs) if Matt Matt Barzell was playing under any other system, he would be like near a hundred point player. It's it's he's the only, and maybe this is ignorant of me i feel like i know the islanders pretty well i've watched eight million of their games reluctantly uh he's like the only player like that on their team the rest of the team is like very similar guys that are not speed skill they have some of it but you're right that he he could explode somewhere else but they're doing great two of their top six are ghosts of oilers past in uh matt barzell who could have been an oiler (laughs) Sorry, Miles. I have to do it again. I have to bring it up again. Uh, instead, we uh, got freaking Gr- Griffin Reinhardt, uh, and then uh, yeah, uh, you know Jordan Eberle, uh, world, uh, you know Canadian hero, and uh, he's on the goddamn Miami on a New York team. <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Th- thanks a lot, Peter. Um, getting back on track. Uh, <laughs> uh, <sighs> speaking of covering teams, uh, we yet to talk about Bleach Report. Um, so you've been so you've been at BR for seven years, right? Yeah, July. I will. It'll be seven year anniversary, one month from tomorrow. Wow, incredible! Yeah, well, congratulations yeah. for your seven Thanks. years, man. Um, so I, I guess the I guess the overall question is like, how'd you get your start there, and how has it developed into like 
you have a really important role now, man. Like you're the, the lead NFL draft guy. Yeah. So, no, I, I always mean, tell people like I, they made me become a real adult and I never knew if I would be kind of, I shouldn't say watching college football players and determining how they'll do in the pros is a real adult <laughs> job. It's like a 50, 50 of the way there. So yeah. Um, you know, it's a crazy road and this could be like a four hour story that I'll turn into like a three minute one. Basically, <laughs> I went to college at Albany and I was in the business school and uh, I made it to the end. I graduated. I, I didn't want to make it sound like I was in the business school and then left it, um, you know, but I was interviewing at the end and I full like, I mean, I'd wear a tie all the time for my internships, like totally different human being reluctantly. And I figured I would just be, you know, I didn't want to get into like accounting and be that dry. So I took marketing and my, my end goal was, you know, like to, do like marketing for Nike or something cool like that, that was still in the business world. And I originally went to the, the law program at Albany and it just wasn't for me. I actually like, it just was too dry. And cause I wanted to be an agent and I was like, this is not for me at all. And now that the further I am into the NFL world, I'm really glad I didn't become an agent. Let me just tell you <laughs> that, that was, I didn't know it at the time, how smart of a choice I was making just cause I was bored. So yeah, I was interviewing for jobs in the city, a lot of sales jobs, a lot of marketing jobs, you know, advertising, stuff like that. And I had a connection where some, you know, somebody I knew uh, was doing a charity event. I was, I was in the charity event and they, they were like, Hey, Connor, I think you'd be great for this. BR is my friend at BR is the hiring manager. He's looking for a research assistant, which is like, you know, low of the low, but pretty cool to just research football stats, storylines, data, and long story short, after many interviews, I got the job and I had to make the decision, which I think ended up being a good one with actually a little bit of a push from my mom, of all people, to take a lot less money and go into that job. And I didn't have enough money to move down to the city coming out of college. And I was taking a salary that was significantly lower than the other job offers I'd gotten. And I went for it. And I used to commute six hours round trip a day, which is... Uh, basically wishing away your life. Like, I'm not even kidding with you. My schedule Monday through Friday was I'd usually wake up at four and I would try to get to the gym on the way to the train, do like some BS 40 minute workout, shower, drive to the train, which is like 25 minutes, take the train down from upstate New York into Jersey, connect at Secaucus to a different train that would get me into the city. And then I would get on the subway to go up to Bleacher Report. And that's how I'd get to work. And then I'd have to do the whole thing going home. And I really wouldn't get home till nine o'clock every night. So I'd sleep from like 11 to four on a really good day. But it was fun. I loved it. Like I was researching football. I was working with Chris Sims all the time. I was working with Lefko, um, just helping out the video department, all the NFL stuff we did. And I did that for, I don't even know how long I did it, probably like two years and I got promoted to AP, which is basically like you're an assistant producer. And then eventually got promoted to producer. And while doing that, you know, I was the guy behind the scenes for a lot of our content. I did, I was at like Gatorade player of the year for softball. Like I was everywhere. Like it was such a bizarre role and I actually really liked it. But through all of this, me and Miller started stick to football, which to be honest with you, and I get it not a ton of people believed in stick to football. Let me just say that off the jump. We had to convince certain people that it was like a passion project that would not impact work that they would let us do. <laughs> you know, two years later, stick to football turned into 
you know, we had deals with Dos Equis, we had deals with IBM, we were out in the tailgate tour, like it turned into something we never expected. And that was more front facing for me, because then people knew who I was, they were listening to my voice, I was answering questions. Um, on those trips I went on, I made a lot of contacts in the league to guys that are really good at scouting guys that have grown up from scouting roles into executive roles. I learned from Sims, I learned from those contacts I made. And I've always been evaluating players going back to college when I was blogging for free, podcasting for free. But this was like a chance at like, wait, a national audience is listening to this. It seems like a lot of them like the show. And one thing, you know, to make this story a lot shorter, like I said, one thing led to another where I became the number two draft guy behind Miller and was breaking down every pick on the desk, especially when Sims left. I wasn't just the guy filling in on day three anymore when everyone got tired and sick of the draft because I was the psychopath that knew players in rounds four through seven. And then <laughs> Sims left, so I became the number two. Miller left, I became the number one. <laughs> uh, and this year, you know, we did it with the keep to leave. Lefko has always been there with me. And man, it's, it really is special. I'm really grateful for it. I don't take it for granted. I think that while it, it takes a little luck, I also think that like, and the timing was lucky, like stick to football just blossomed in an era where there was no NFL draft pods. And now there's 8 million of them, which is cool to see, but you know, people were excited to listen to what I had to say. And I, I, I like to think this is going to be my career for the long haul. That's what I don't I know about. where we'll see, you know, you, <laughs> nobody stays every like anywhere forever in sports anymore. That's a lost art. But the uh, fact that I, I got to really go from, I mean, I was an, a full salaried intern essentially when I started at BR. So I like to think of it as a cool story over six plus years. Wow, man. That's, that's all. Like I, 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 I had no idea that you just did basically like the switch from marketing into like sport into essentially sports coverage. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, really, I really did. You know, I played sports growing up, but I was like, this is not going to be a forever thing and I don't want to let it go. So if I'm not going to be able to play them anymore, I want to talk about them. And the cool thing about New York is like, while it's oversaturated, people love sports so much here that if you just talk enough passionately about something and you do the work and people are interested in what they, you have to say, they'll find you. That's what always blew my mind. Like, when I was in college blogging about the Jets or whatever it was, it turned on the Jets. Like I was slowly building a following where it's like, wow, these Jets fans are interested in what I have to say. And then like at Bleacher would stick to football, like all oh, these college football fans are interested. These giraffe fans are interested. All these NFL fans are. And it's, you know, it's, I don't have like a crazy following, but it was like cool to actually be like, okay, you know, I just was doing what I always wanted to do. And, and people actually like notice. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You've brought up uh, kind of doing the college tour a few times. Um, do you have like a favorite stadium that you like to go to or, you know, one that memories kind of stick out at? Or were you in the crowd for any like insane ending to any game or anything like that? I feel like I might know this one. The The crowd question is a good one because I'm I'm trying to think. Well, I mean, for the tour, like the best places I've gone, LSU is unbelievable. And that was before they won a national title. I was yeah. at LSU the year before that undefeated season. And I was like, this place is unbelievable. It was LSU, Georgia. The people there are amazing. They're the friendliest college football fans I think I've ever dealt with. The atmosphere is like not real life. The stadium is nuts. There's like a million people inside the stadium. And that was cool. Baton Rouge is a fun place to go for a college game. Uh, quietly, the University of Washington, which is in Seattle on the water, very unique. Uh, I went out, I actually was doing something with Wendy's that morning 
where they built like a Wendy's on a barge out on the water. So I had to go out on a boat that morning. And then the, the captain we hired the boat, I like, I had credentials for USC Washington. So I like said to him, I'm like, dude, can you drop me off at the stadium? And he was like, yeah, sure. And I don't know if he was actually supposed to, like, I think you're supposed to have like a permit or something, but he just went right up to the dock of the stadium. I got off the boat and there I was at a football game, which is like, unlike if you just Google uh, Washington sailgate, you'll, you can see the pictures of what it looks like there. It is truly people tailgating on their boats outside of the stadium before the game. So that atmosphere, and that was like a really more uh, like very, like special day because I got to see do all that Washington USC and then I went to the Mariners game at night so it's just like oh. oh Seattle I have a soft spot for Seattle I really like it uh, I always tell people it's like where I'd want to live if I went to the west coast instead of the east coast cool place um wow special moments I'm trying to think I, I mean I've had some good ones not associated with a lot of work trips surprisingly I think no, not really with work trips. You know, I was at the World Series when the Mets were there, and that was heartbreaking, soul-crushing, uh, all of the above. <laughs> you know, got to go out to London for a tailgate trip. People in London are, like, awesome, had such a good time there. And, you know, I, I have been to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, LSU, the year LSU went undefeated. Uh, I, I thought, it, you know, it was fine. I, you know, it wasn't I, – I just thought LSU was special. I thought Washington was special. I think Wisconsin's insane – so yeah, those are the ones that really jump out to me. Um, it uh, you brought up you you brought up um, your run with the uh, turn on the Jets, and I was kind of because I was looking through like your like previous work and all that stuff, and it seems that you got like your real start in like sports media when you were with them uh, covering the Jets. Now. Obviously, you're on a podcast with two Oilers fans right now. So um, I, I guess my overall question was like, like, was it your passion for the team and like insight into the game that really just led you to have this, like, or I guess, helped build the backbone of your career that you have now? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like when I was, I think I was like four or five years old. So basically, like my dad and my uncle had season tickets for the Jets. So they had, we had two total in the family going back to like Shea stadium. Then they played at the old Meadowlands. And then we gave them up when they built the new Meadowlands, which is MetLife stadium, terrible stadium, uh, overpriced. They screwed all the diehard fans had a season tickets. It was too expensive. It was a ripoff, uh, really salty about that to this day. And, and one day I will, I will go on like a wild rant about that. And hopefully like <laughs> jets ownership catches wind of it. Cause like, I, I'm not like a, I'm just a guy that grew up as a span with like diehard Jets fans or sports fans in the family. And like, it's crazy how much greedy owners screw over the people oh. that matter the most. And it's kind of cool that like, I'm not on the playing field, but like, I'm getting closer to where I'm around them in close quarters. And I'm like, you know what? Like you, you probably, you kind of suck. Like sometimes <laughs> like you want to say that. And I, I would never do that because I'm professional, but like you think it. So back to what I was saying. So my, as soon as my dad could like get me, my mom to let me to go to the Meadowlands, it started to happen like once a year. And it started out like preseason where the crowd's a little more tame. So I think I was like four or five years old and he had me down at the railing warmups. And, you know, this guy walks out in a suit, older guy with uh, a ton of people around him and everybody's 
you know, screaming towards him, like, you know, Joe, Joe, this, that. And my dad's like, my dad holds me up, like almost over the railing where like, if he dropped me, it was like, I'd fall into the field. And uh, it's like hilarious to think about these things. And he's like, he's like, yell, he's like, yell, like Broadway or yell Joe. So I did, I did. And like, he finally looks up at the crowd and he looks right at me and my dad and like waves, says, hello, how are you? All this stuff. And I was like, who the hell was that? And he was like, that was Joe Namath. He's like, in one day, like, you'll, you'll realize like how special that moment was. And like, I was four or five. Like, I don't know who this old guy was in a suit. Like, I didn't care. And now I look back on it and I'm like, that was Joe Namath. Like, he's like one of the most iconic New York athletes of all time. And the face of the New York Jets franchise, because it's the only guy to ever win them a Super Bowl. And he said, I guarantee we'll do it. So from there on, it was like, that became my life is that, you know, the Jets, the Mets, the Rangers, the Knicks. And they've all had like wild road bumps of being basement teams throughout the last 20 years. Like the Jets obviously have not made the playoffs in 10 years. The Mets are going in the right direction. Thank God. So I won't completely crap on them, but there was awful years. The Rangers actually were the one team I used to tell people like, yeah, the only good team I root for is the New York Rangers. And like, now I can't even say that anymore. And then the Knicks are like finally out of the basement. So yeah, passion matters the most. I say it all the time. Like, you know, it's funny to me. People, old school journalists, get really offended by fans having more of a voice in media, right? Like I've noticed, and I've noticed a change in the last eight, ten years I've been doing this, um, you know, whether in college or as now. Like blogs are credentialed some places, and some teams won't do it, but like you'll see, like, I don't know, like, uh, like a site that's clearly a fan site asking coaches questions at the end of the day. And I don't think they should be disregarded like a lot of people want them to be if they are fair and honest. If they're like just being a fan, then it doesn't do any good. But if they are asking questions that the fans care about, then they can relate in a certain way. So I've tiptoed that line, a fine line with the Jets my entire career where I'm not going to lie to people. I was a four-year-old in that stadium screaming at Joe Namath what, just because I'm 29 now, I'm supposed to turn everything off and not care at all. But I also can turn it off where I can give a very honest, neutral opinion of what's going on with the team. And people want to hear it because I'm not some miserable 50-year-old that's been writing about the team for 30 years and hates everything they do. So I think there's, I think there's a fine balance in sports coverage. And I hope that, I hope that I've, you know, one of many, there's tons of people doing it, but that has found that fine balance of and the you know i tell people all the time with the draft in college i'm as neutral and unbiased as ever because you know i don't root for i'm not like a college fan of a team i you know i just love the game so i i just think that it's really interesting to me when people are like think that people that grew up fans can't do the job if anything i think they're more equipped to they just have to have the right balance yeah no i it's so well said you, you guys love the oilers right yeah and like I, I, you know, you don't have to say any names, but I'm sure before you started doing the show and probably still to this day, there's certain people that you want to hear from about the Oilers. And there's a large majority of people that you do not care what they have to say because it's the same worn out shtick all the time. Oh man. Edmonton media is a, it's a, and I heard it's, pretty, it's, it's a pretty hell hole of, of just nonsense. It's they cannot let the eighties go away. <laughs> I can tell you that much. listen it's and it's like that you know it's funny like the rangers media is not like that shockingly 
they they don't have I don't think they have a tough media and I think that you look at like teams like it, it becomes low-hanging fruit though right like if like the Jets have a new quarterback this year in Zach Wilson if he comes out and throws a pick you know in the first game they'll just be like oh it's Mark Sanchez all over again or it's the same <laughs> old Jets and it's just like there's no like context or like true balance everything's just like a, a like a gut punch or like a low-hanging fruit joke or like and, you know, people that used to be able to get away with doing that and they're writing in coverages of teams, now the fans just tune them out because they have other options to yeah. tune into. And I think that's a really good thing as much as a lot of people like to act like it's bad. Yeah, for, for sure, man. I've got one more and then I think Nolan's got one more. Um, obviously, we've been talking sports a whole heck of a lot this podcast. But, I mean, outside of, you know, New York sports and sports in general, like what's Connor Rogers into? Like, what are you watching on Netflix? You know, what podcast do you listen to to try and get away from sports? Do you get away from sports or is it just, you know, keep reeling you in whenever? No, I, wherever? I, I get away a lot and I'm glad you <laughs> asked it. And a lot of people are like surprised by that. Cause like, all I tweet about mostly is like sports or like I do it for a living. You got to get away. Um, you know, I talk about this with Nolan all the time is music. Like, and, and I, uh, I've gotten really into like vinyl recently, yeah. but I've always been a music fan where now I collect it, but like, I've always been, I had like a wide array of music tastes, whether it's classic rock, whether it's, you know, obviously more new stuff and it, it goes across the board from, you know, hip hop to literally like classics, like everything. So I think that's been a big thing for me. And that, that was honestly one of the toughest parts of the pandemic because I haven't shows. Like it's, it's crazy when I look at it, I just got tickets for my morning jacket uh, when they come around here in September. And that's all I, I talk about for like three weeks. <laughs> like people, I'm like, ah, September, like seeing my morning jacket, like don't really care as much that like it might be NFL kickoff. Like my morning jacket's coming to Queens. Like, so that's a big thing for me. Shockingly, not a huge TV guy. And I don't know if that's because my job is like watching film where sometimes yeah. I want to turn off the screen. And don't get me wrong. I watch TV and like I, there's certain shows that I love and like, but I, I can't keep up with the amount that like the average person is ripping through, man. Like, yeah. it, like whenever there's a series on that's taking over the Twitter timeline, I feel like I live in an alternate universe. Like I, you know, don't get me wrong. I loved Game of Thrones, like the Sopranos, the wire, like all the classics, but like the, the, in this era of streaming, it's hard. It's really hard. Like I'll try to keep up with some of the crime docs. Uh, I recently watched The Serpent on Netflix. I actually thought that was really good and really interesting. Like pretty much serial killer stuff is always going to be or crime related is interesting to me and really gets your brain off of sports. Uh, I try to read a lot, which I know is like a lost art in some sense. And I'm not really like great at it. Like I know people that could just kill a book in three days. I'm like, okay, I have 20 minutes before I want to fall asleep. Like, let me rip like through a chapter of this book, like that kind of reader trying to think what else uh this will shock people i skateboard a lot which is like really funny because it's like a lot of people think it's like skateboarding's for kids and i completely disagree i love to skateboard i'm not like out here doing kickflips and like going down half pipes but like i like to skateboard i live in a city so like i like to get from point a to point b like with a skateboard like that's how i get around i don't i have a driver's license but i have no reason to have a car here anymore so yeah, man. I eat a lot. Like I love eating. Like, so it, it, like, uh, I love, I love to eat. Um, you know, and I balance it out by fortunately, uh, working out. So I'm not like 900 pounds on camera. Like that would be a tough look for me at my job. They'd be like, what the F are you, have you been doing? 
so yeah, man. I mean, I, I have a lot of interests. Um, and the one thing I really had to like get in line, and I was I joked about this on the draft this year on day three. I don't know if you guys play video games, but like there was a like, and I wasn't like bad, but like two months out from the draft this year, I was like, I'm not playing Call of Duty like for at least two months. And I actually have like just not ever gone back. But now that we're sitting here in the middle of June, but like that was like a thing that I actually had like a hobby that I was like, okay, I need to stop doing this because I need to just work, work, work these next two months. Yeah, this is this is getting completely out of control. Yeah, yeah, it's a <laughs> distraction that's just like. You know, it's a distraction where it's like hard to turn off. Like if your buddies hit you up, especially during the pandemic, when you can see any of them, they're like, hey, we're going to play. And it's like, cool, I'll play for an hour. And then three hours go by and you're like, like, I'm an idiot. Like I should have got off two hours ago. See, it's like It's 1.30 yeah. in the morning. What am I doing? I got to go to bed. <laughs> That's the issue, right? So the key so yeah. to it. <laughs> I'm, still a, I'm still a child if you can't tell. The key to it is to have a really bad internet connection like myself, and then you never have to play any online gaming. <laughs> so the pro- and that's the problem is I've been working from home, so I have like the best of the best internet yeah. because a lot of my work is on video live streaming. So that's I I couldn't even use that one as an excuse. I'm trying to yeah, that pretty much covers it. Like you know, for me during the pandemic, like after a week of work, I would have no problem when Friday night rolls around like throwing on a couple of records, having a couple of beers and just like chilling. Honestly, yeah. like that doesn't, it's the best. Yeah, I like to, I like to do it with people, but that wasn't <laughs> an option for a while. So I was, so needless to say, I'm very glad the world is turning the corner. It's so nice. Um, well, I, I, I we, uh, just so everybody knows, I was talking to Connor early on today and I said, Hey, Connor, how long, how long do you think we have? I'm just framing up all my questions depending on your availability. And he's like, yeah, sure, no problem. Uh, 30 minutes sound good. Um, we are currently on, I believe, hour and five minutes now. Uh, so once again, I just want to say thank you so, so much, yeah, man, no for problem. coming on. I, like, we, like, we could not appreciate it more. Um, if you want to find Connor on, uh, on any of his socials, um, well, yeah, I'm assuming you just prefer Twitter, uh, which uh, you can find him at Connor J Rogers on Twitter. Uh, you can find his, uh, you can find his podcast. That's so Mets. That's just on all the podcast streaming services. Right. Uh, and then yeah. Badlands is obviously on Patreon as well. You can find him on Bleacher Report um, and at your nearest uh, New York gym. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. But, or uh, now I hide in a warehouse in Jersey. There, well, there you go. Um, yeah. Um, yeah. But finally, Connor, um, we have to, I mean, we have to close it off with this. Um, your way too early prediction. Who is the number one big board guy and who's your number one pick for 22? Wow. You know, it's tough right now. I think, I don't think he'll be the number one pick, but just number one guy. I think ceiling wise could be Chase Young. He's not yet. It would, it would be Kayvon Thibodeau at Oregon right now. I think when you look at him, uh man it's all there to be great and teams love their pass rushers and it's not a good quarterback class you know sam howell reminds me of baker mayfield so maybe he makes that jump and you know the thirst for quarterbacks so maybe a team takes you know just takes the best quarterback number one and right now it'd be sam howell malik willis from liberty could be a big riser i'll tell you right now like the the premium positions in this class they have some work to do and it's I, I, I like this. I like that we're not going like last year when I did this, I'd be like, oh, Trevor Lawrence, like, duh. Yeah. I'm glad that I don't have a guy like that this year where there's actually a little surprise element to it and, and a little bit of volatility of it throughout the season coming up. Yeah. 
Well, that's and the Texans will be picking number one in case you're wondering. <laughs> you know what? I feel like we do this every year, though. We always we always go into the season with like this team is going to be the worst. In the and league. never happens. And it never happens. Yeah, exactly. But anyways, Connor, thank you very much for coming on. We really appreciate it. Uh, Miles, did you have any last things you want to say? Uh, man, I just wanted to say really appreciate you taking time to talk to us. Uh, it's really nice to, you know, find somebody uh, a couple thousand kilometers or miles away that is into sneakers and vinyl and yes. sports yeah. like, like, like we are. So uh, really good chatting with you, man, and hope we can do it again sometime. Yeah, I forgot to say that getting uh, getting denied or dunked on by the sneakers app is also one of my hobbies. I'm never getting the <laughs> shoes I ever taking, want. So. Taking L's left, right, and center. Yes, yeah. So that's another favorite hobby of mine, in case you're wondering, is constantly <laughs> losing on getting shoes I want. But no, for real, it was fun talking to you guys. And, you know, anytime you need me back, just let me know. Sounds good, man. Sounds Thanks good, a lot. Man. Thanks very much. Thank you very much to Connor Rogers for coming on the show. Um, this was a, a, a huge, a huge treat to me. And, uh, like I mentioned, it, like I mentioned in the interview, uh, Connor gave us thirty minutes, and we ended up going for an hour. So, um, just thank you so much to him again. Uh, I think I've said thank you to him like eight thousand times already, and uh, so hopefully we get him on because, or hopefully we get him on again because uh, that, that 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 was just a treat. Yeah, guy was an absolute beauty to talk to. Um, just felt like talking to a buddy, and obviously a wealth of knowledge, sports and media related. So getting to pick his brain a little bit was really, really fun and had some great stories for sure. Speaking of great stories, Miles, the Oilers signed Devin Shorter to your extension. Is that, is that a great story? So, okay. For, he, for the league minimum. Yeah, it's basically a league minimum. So he signed a two-year deal worth eight fifty per year, which is like nothing, right? Um he's i i guess the the way that you can kind of look at it is like you have to make like a pros and cons list more than anything is like the pro is is that you have an nhl player uh that can sub in as like a and he's like a replacement level player that can sub in as like a 13th 14th forward you can play both the wing as well as center he's 26 years old and he has nhl experience and you can use him on your roster he barely takes up any cap space and you can bury all of his salary in the minors. So that's pretty good. That's fine. The con of that is you've re-signed Devin Shore, so you're giving Dave Tippett a toy to play with. Yes, 100%. I was just going to say you're theoretically burying him in the minors or as a replacement-level player, but this is a guy that Dave Tippett, if this season showed us anything, loves to sub in and has a soft spot for or likes or whatever you want to call it um and it's so fucking frustrating because he should be a fringe guy that comes in and plays in case of injury or you know whatever it may be but dave tippett uses him as like a fourth third line player like quite frequently yeah and that is not very sick i think if you put him on a fourth line and you put like i don't know i i don't I don't want to immediately write him off as a fourth liner because I, I think he can be a quality fourth liner in the right in the right role, if that makes sense. Like the the key is is that you can't be playing your fourth liners that much time. Like I think he just gives way too much of a leash to his fourth line, and he gives Devin Shore the opportunity to move up and down the lineup way too easily. Like like I've mentioned before, the season ended with Devin Shore playing second line left wing. That is problematic. That it's that's like uh, that's like uh, 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 
60 levels of problematic. Holy wow, shit. That was a bad joke. <laughs> that was a terrible joke. <laughs> uh, and, and so is the Oilers forward situation. Whoa! Oh, sorry, I, I, had to, I, I had to get a little bit better position for this one. But, yeah, it's a... It's not like... I don't know. It's just... I think that both sides cuz you can go on twitter and oilers twitter is a bit of a breeding ground for uh, uh nightmares and monsters and i agree with one side of the argument and i disagree with another side of an argument and i agree with the side of this argument and i disagree with the side of this argument um it's i think it's okay to be in the middle on this and i think a lot of rational fans are in that middle are in that middle ground because yes his fancies look terrible it seemed like every time the puck on devon shore stick it died um but devon shore is also not 38 years old so there is a possibility that he can play better cuz he's only 26 years old he was in an rfa like he he like he's fine um but I can also understand the argument of, like, this guy is just, like, not good. Like, why are we re-signing him? But the other side of the coin is, like, he can kill penalties pretty well. Like, he does have a role. And I think it is important to have guys that have played in the NHL. And he's signed to a deal that is so minuscule that you can get away with it. So... I'm kind of I think I'm more on the side of like I I I don't mind it because it's just like you can bury it and you can do what you need to with it but I can also understand the side of like why are we wasting a contract space on this right so um what can you do right it's it's really not that big of a deal it's kind of a nothing signing no it but it it, it is and it isn't it's showing who they're you know some guys are coming back some guys that they obviously like and like you said, any rational fan, I think he's going to relax a little bit about it. And we're just making a big deal about yeah. it because it's the first signing and there's some important <laughs> other pieces that have yet to be signed or I, discussed. So I think I'll- we're going to see some fireworks this offseason. Because <laughs> uh, you just you just wait until Ken Holland signs uh, until Ken Holland signs a guy like Brandon Saad to like five by five. Oilers National... Uh, uh, Oilerville will fucking will explode. Yeah, hot dog so, water, Brandon sod. Yeah. By the way, wanted to give a shout out to our captain, Mister Connor McDavid, for being nominated for the Hart Trophy again. <laughs> Up against Erston Matthews and uh, best player in the world, Nathan McKinnon. Uh, so, Connor shouldn't lose this, right? Right? We're like we're a hundred. Like we're yeah. He, he's gonna win it. I'm ninety seven percent sure he wins it. I'm ninety nine percent sure. That. Uh huh. I'm uh I'm uh f- former former number of Yesipuli RV sure and ninety eight percent sure he's gonna do it. Wouldn't be a one for one episode if we didn't say his name. Yeah. Um, have you seen the Yaffa updates? He's posted oh, a couple. He's looking so cute. So happy. The dog is looking like a young man. It's growing up so nice. Yes, to, he's so happy. To be completely honest, you know what I think should be number one on Ken Holland's offseason list? What? 
a eight-year extension for Yessi Puliyarvi. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm so down because he's got he's got he'll have one year left at one point one or whatever the fuck he makes, and he, you get him signed for like. How would you feel like four and a half times eight? Oh, I'd love that. I I would, I would piss. I'd be like, take me take me now. Um, but uh, but yeah so. Anyways, we, we we kind of we kind of ignored the Connor McDavid stuff, uh, but yeah, hundred point or hundred and five points in fifty six games. Uh, we love Connor McDavid. He's absolutely the Hart Trophy winner in a landslide. I'm a little surprised that Leon didn't get any love. I, I think we need to see like the final voting results just to see if Leon did end up in, on anybody's ballots. And I'm also excited to see how many people did not put Connor McDavid number one on their ballots because you know, sure as hell, we're going to see that. Oh, yeah, and some mouth breather from Toronto is going to have Austin Matthews at number one, and it's going to be fun, eh? Yeah, they're going to be like, because he's going 40 goals. Well, that's great. Uh, Connor McDavid literally had 105 points in 56 games. Like, get the hell out of here. He he won the scoring race uh, on assists alone, did he not? No, I didn't. Yeah, or I, th- I think... He, he wouldn't have beat Leon. Yeah, oh, yeah, I guess Leon had like 84 points or something. That's I still can't that's believe That's still that. nuts. That's unbelievable. That's friggin' insane. But other than that, there's not, not really a whole lot of Oilers stuff. Um, I think we're going to be prepping for a couple pretty big weeks here. Um, so everybody knows uh, I, I will be flying to uh, Regina uh, in just over two weeks. So that'll be exciting. We're going to... I'm going to eat Arby's for the first time. Yes. So we're going we're gonna to get some content. Uh, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll bring the DSLR into an Arby's. <laughs> Yeah, for anyone who's wanted to see me puke in high def, you're gonna get to. Um, we're gonna we're gonna rec- we're we're gonna try and get some content. We'll probably brainstorm some ideas and uh, we'll see what we can do. And we've got a couple more uh, we've got a couple more interviews primed. Um, I guess I might as well tell everyone right now. Um, we're gonna have Sean Patrick Ryan back on, uh, which will be nice. And we're gonna get, get some updates on some prospects and also a preview of the upcoming 2021 draft because the Oilers will have the 19th overall selection. And in case you didn't know, there have been some very good players taken at 19th overall, including 2011 pick Oscar Clefbaum. You sound like a dog that's stuck in a car. <laughs> Pretty good player. Um, very good player. Very good. Uh, we, uh, by the way, shout out Oscar Klopplon. Please come back. We don't want you to retire early. We would like you to stay aboard and be really good. Um, also, shout out Ken Holland. Please stay away from uh, Seth Jones because um, apparently Vegas has them or has the Oilers as I want to say the odds on favorite, um, which is terrifying. Why the fuck are we an odds favorite for Seth Jones? Why? Does not make sense. Not makes sense. I mean, okay, here's the only the like this is not this is not me this is not me trying to justify the move. This is me looking at it from like who in their right mind would think this? Like realistically speaking, he only makes like five million dollars, so they could fit that into their cap space. But also why? Why, 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 why? Yeah, his numbers were underlying numbers were pissed this year. Um I don't think he's that good. And we have a nasty D prospects pool. The only way it makes sense that they bring him up is if they're unloading somebody for a forward. But, like, I don't want them to. But also, like, 
you have to take advantage of the fact that your better young defensemen are on entry-level contracts. Don't trade Evan Bouchard because you're like, oh yeah, we want to take on Seth Jones. It makes no sense. You're just adding salary. It's just, you have to take advantage of these things. How do you think the fucking Blackhawks won cups? Why, what is it people? ELCs. ELCs are everything. This is the reason why Peter Shirley failed. He had fucking Connor McDavid on an entry-level contract for three fucking years. Including the year after they went to the, uh, the, 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 the second round. And like, he, he, unlo- he unloads Eberly and he does nothing with his cap space. When you can take advantage of that, you can load up for a couple of years and go for it. But no. Like, it's like, oh, we want to have the big names. Who fucking cares? Seth Jones is going to get paid so much money by some team. And I think some team will. I, I, it's, I don't think it's ever the favorites that get him. I think the Flyers are a lot more likely to get him than the Oilers are. Um, like, I, I don't know if they're linking him to the Oilers just because of Caleb, but either way, needs to fucking stop. Somebody yeah. needs to put a stop to that. Ken Holland needs to stand on the balcony like the Pope and just be like, we're not going after him so that everyone in Oilerville can be like, oh, thank God. <laughs> oh, thank you very much. No, I, I think he's gonna. I, I think there's gonna be. A, I think there's gonna be a trade for a winger. I think there's gonna be a deal made for a winger. I don't know who it's gonna be, but I think there's gonna be something there. I, I, I think I said this to you. I, I want to say I said this to you on the last show. Maybe not. I, I might be dreaming, but I am so scared of this whole Zach Hyman thing. I do not want Zach Hyman in Edmonton. The only way I want Zach Hyman is if he's like $3 million. But at that money, he's going back to Toronto. But like... He's going to get paid 6 mil by some team. Oh, easy, 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 easy. And it cannot be Edmonton. I do not want Zach Hyman anywhere near... It's going to be the Clarkson contract again. Because he's going to get like 6 by 6 because some team is going to be like, we need a guy with grit. Grit and toughness and size. And Zach, Zach Hyman's a good player, but it's like the Patrick Maroon thing. He's would that's exactly what he would be like. He'd be like Patrick Maroon again. But the reason why Patrick Maroon works so well is because uh, he only got paid a million and a half dollars. So please, for the love of God, Ken Holland, do not do this to me. I do not need this for my for for my mental health. So I think that's everything. I think we're I'm I'm, I'm okay. I'm feeling a little good. I'm feeling a little bit better. Happy after the interview. I feel a lot better after that. I was very nervous for it because I didn't want to come off as a big amateur, but we did well. We did very we well. Did well. I think. We did well. I think so. Yes. Follow us on Twitter at one for one pod and on Instagram at one underscore four underscore one pod. So thanks everybody for tuning into the 22nd episode of one for one. It's been a blast. Hope you enjoyed the interview. We're looking forward to the rest of the playoffs. And as always, Nolan, Go Oilers, go. Go Oilers, go.